Welcome to the Let's Develop podcast, where we explore stories and tools for social change to transform ourselves and the world around us. My name is Arda Soyans, and my voice will go with you for this ride. By tuning in now, you'll learn from experts from fields as diverse as health, community organizing, business, performance, and more, who share their tactics and mind frames, successes, and defeats. Whether you've yet to begin your own social change efforts, or you're looking to refine them and grow your abilities, this podcast is designed to inspire you on your journey. So head on over to letsdeveloppodcast.com for detailed show notes and other info about this and other episodes. If you like what you hear, and even if you don't, leave us a review on iTunes or wherever else you're listening to let us know how we're doing. Your feedback shapes our journey. And with that, let's dive in. All good things come to an end, and this is the final and last episode of the Let's Develop Podcast. Those who subscribe to the mailing lists will obviously be the first to find out the next exciting direction I'm headed in. In the meantime, I could not be happier to finish off this epic project with the following interviewee. James Whitaker, founder of Dream Career Lab, is a former partner track senior manager from Deloitte who now specializes in helping people get hired into top positions at professional firms such as PwC, PricewaterhouseCoopers, Accenture, Amazon, Citibank, and more. To date, he's helped over 400 people achieve their dreams of working in the world's top companies. His focus is on bypassing the traditional application process and helping people access the hidden job market. This episode is relevant to anyone who wishes to be employed or move up in their career journey. It's equally as applicable to leaders who are building a successful organization through finding the right talents. James and I kick off the episode by getting to know him and his journey in management consulting, and then we move into topics that you're probably here for, equipping you to succeed as an employee or someone looking for quality talents. To learn more and to find the best way to contact James and learn more about his work, visit letsdeveloppodcast.com forward slash dream career. James, hi. Hi, Art. How are you doing? <laughs> pretty well, pretty well. I'm really stoked to be having this conversation. I think that there is a great deal for folks to learn in how you think about things, your journey and your story. So, so James... What what's your best hope for our conversation today? Great question. So my best hope for our conversation today, Art, is just to make sure that I can, you know, I, I can tell people my story in a way that's going to inspire them to do things in their life that they maybe didn't think that they could. Uh, that's that's my, I mean, that's my biggest aim for, for everything I do is inspiring people to do as i said things that they maybe didn't think they could and then giving them frameworks and processes for for doing that so if i can just get even a tiny bit of that across during our conversation i will be very happy indeed i think you have a very unique story james um your background is management consulting is that right Mm -hmm. uh yeah just about it's i so I worked for Deloitte for a long time, obviously big in the management consulting space. I was more uh, in economic consulting. So I was tied to the tax department, ostensibly, rather than the consulting department. But it was all essentially management consulting that I was doing. 
So for the people that, you know, come from very diverse uh, industries, what what is the heart of consulting? What does that look like? So consulting is essentially being able to go into a situation, typically a business situation, and understand very quickly what's happening and then using your skills and experiences and frameworks and IP that you've built up to 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 to, um, to, to basically take those situations that you've under, understood and turn them into a positive result, whatever that might be. So uh, a client might come to you and say, uh, you know, we've got falling profits. What do we do about it? And then you have to use again those experiences, those frameworks to quickly understand what's going, what's really going on, and suggest solutions. Uh, or it might be we need to install a new IT system, or we need to do any number, you know, infinite number of things that that could come up in a business situation. But the idea of consulting and the job of a consultant is to be that person or that team who's going in and actually doing those things, you know, ideally as quickly and as efficiently as possible, more quickly than the business could do it themselves. And that's why they Mm. hire people to do it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, sorry, you mentioned a term IP. For those that don't know, IP means? Intellectual property. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. Um, for folks who are considering consulting, um, for in the terms of hiring a consultant, what are some other reasons why they might want to hire a firm? You know, whether it's the big four or a boutique firm. Yeah. Sure. Um, and I mean, if if we're talking about consultant as a br- very broad term, that's uh, broad. Yeah. 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 I mean, you and essentially, it could be anybody that you bring it that, that I. That, I, that fits that framework that I described. You know, you can have a fashion consultant uh, who, you know, you want to update your wardrobe rather than you spending a year looking at fashion magazines and reading whatever you need to read. You just pay somebody else who's who already knows everything that you don't. Okay, so that's basically the, the, the foundation. Obviously, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about fashion, although that sounds pretty interesting to me. Um, <laughs> maybe better than what we're doing. Uh, but management consulting is doing that for business, for the, for the management of a business. Okay, so all the problems that they have, issues that they have, that you go in and you you solve those problems for them. So someone who might want to work with a management consultant would be a, a business owner, you know, from somebody who is quite small and has maybe quite simple problems to solve from a huge multinational corporation, um, you know, the, the kind of, uh, Amazon's Apple, whoever of the world, who uh, who again have a lot have have the have the same problems, but they're a lot more complex, a lot broader. Um, so anyone in that situation would want to hire a consultant if they have a problem which is outside of their scope of uh, of, of knowledge. Okay, and and so your journey did not start formally in this world. Where, where did you start? So I started, um, well, originally as a chemist at university. So I studied chemistry mm-hmm. and I essentially took a backdoor pathway, as I, as I often describe it, and we might talk more about that, to, mm-hmm. to, into, into Deloitte and uh, started off in the tax department, as I said, moved, moved more into the kind of tax consulting, economic consulting side uh, but yeah, definitely not what you would consider the traditional 
attend a business school and then move into move into management consulting from there. Hmm. And and I guess I'm curious, you know, young James, you know, he's uh, studying chemistry or doing chemistry, you know, um, and there's that sort of big leap of hope, hope, right? What was that about? What was the hope in, in wanting to move into something so drastically different? So I always had a big interest in business, uh, just, and I studied it in, in high school and it was, it, was, it was always something that really interested me, the kind of how do businesses fit together, what, what's a parent company versus a subsidiary. So I already always had that desire mm. to, to know how businesses worked at a deeper level than just mm-hmm. it's a business, it's a company. And that, that's kind of where it all stemmed from. And when I was going through this, this period of my life when I knew that being a scientist, sticking with chemistry just was not the place that I wanted to be for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that, that thoughts and those, those um, you know, the places that, are, that where I'd had those feelings about how business worked and that interest kind of started growing again. And I just decided to ride that wave as it were and really just consider how I might change my life to go down that pathway more. Obviously, it's, it was quite unusual, not something that is that is typically done. Uh, and that led me on the journey, which has got me to where I am today, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's fast forward a little bit. Okay. So, so for folks that, I, I guess, don't have a sense, uh, um, breaking into management consulting is is uh is not the easiest thing in the world in fact if you're if if i may james and then please tell me if i'm wrong um if you're aiming to be hired into into a a firm like you know pwc deloitte um what you're doing to get there will probably land you into most other positions and most other careers a lot easier but you will have done the late work um it's it's time intensive it's laborious it's very deep in relationship building and um and so what what i find um curious is how you james you've you've had a decade of experience in management consulting and then you took a step back and you asked yourself so for people that want to get in what is the um most effective and most efficient process and yeah, why don't we go with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you took a step out. So you you finished with Deloitte. What was going through your mind and what did you want to build? What empire did you want to build? Yeah, so so I was in a situation in my career, kind of like actually pretty reflective of where I was with the, the, the working in a lab chemistry and deciding that wasn't the place that I wanted to be. Uh, I'd worked for Deloitte for about 11 years. Uh, I'd worked in the U.S. and uh, and in the U.K. and you know I had a really great career. I I will never ever say anything bad about the Big Four. Uh, they they are great. Well, I mean, obviously I've got a much more of a a viewpoint about Deloitte specifically, but I know a lot of other people from the other Big Four as well. And it's it's if you you if you enjoy it and and use it in the right way um, and do the things that you that you need to do, it's really is a great place to be. Uh, and so. I I was along that pathway. I was a, a situation where um, the, so the leaders of the of the firms are, co- are called partners, 
And I was in a situation where I was, you know, on that pathway, it was it, in the next couple of years, I was going to be up for being promoted to partner. And I came to this realization again, as I had before, that maybe dedicating my the next 30, so I was, you know, early, fairly early 30s at this point. Um, so I would have been you know, mid 30s by the time I got promoted to partner like I am now. Uh, so I was thinking, well, do I want to spend the next 30 years of my life doing this same stuff, servicing clients, uh, working hard, making things happen? And when I really dove deep and thought about that, the answer was not really. Right. Even though the, 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 these people get paid, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousand dollars, even, you know, many of them get paid multi-million dollar salaries a year. It's a fantastic place to be and they get a lot of opportunities and a lot of doors are open to them because mm. of being in this situation. You know, it's one of the most prestigious positions that you could hold in, um, in, in business, you know, equivalent to CEO, CFO uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, um, in a public company. Mm. So my decision was, do I want to do this for the next 30 years? And, and or that was the decision to make. And the answer was, was no. Um, so instead, I decided to focus more on the thing that I really, really was interested in, which was helping people and mentoring people to have the same opportunities that I had, uh, because I had quite a good, quite a lot of good mentors during my time. Uh, and not everyone has that opportunity. Uh, and I saw a lot of people going through the process. I was, I was, you know, a senior member of the hiring process at Deloitte. I saw a lot of people failing when I knew they shouldn't. I, you know, lots of people that I would have wanted to hire, but for various reasons, they didn't pass through. Um, and I just wanted to make sure that everybody who wanted to do this and really was committed and had the drive, had all the tools at their disposal to make, make it a reality for them. And that's where I, you know, in a way stumbled upon doing doing what I'm doing now. Hmm. What would you call what you're doing now? If, if you were to give it sort of a term and industry, how would you describe it? It's <laughs> a great question. And um, it's a, something that I've struggled with a lot because it's one of those things where you go to a party or something and people ask you, well, James, what do you do? Uh, and the, the simple, I suppose the very simple answer is um, career coaching. But hmm. obviously, there is a huge amount more to it than that, as you alluded to at the start of a start of the call, start of the um, the conversation. Art that it's you, you can't stop at career coaching. Um, you know, I actually feel I, I kind of feel like I'm the the anti career coach in a way because Ooh. a lot of people who sell things, and this is a bugbear of mine, things like a resume review. Right, I hate it because. You cannot, you cannot solve someone's problems by writing a few things on a piece of paper. That's not going to make a difference, right? They, they might luckily pass through the, the, you know, the applicant tracking systems or whatever it might be. But then what? Are they going to pass the interview? And then are they even in the right, are they even in the right place that they need to be uh, mentally to, to get that job and succeed? Are they even applying for the right job that's right for them? You know, do they have real reasons why they want to get that role? Or are they just doing it because it pays well, right? Which is always a terrible idea. So, um, so yeah, that that is a very long answer to the short answer of, of what do you do. But 
career coaching, career acceleration, I like to call it sometimes. Uh, but in general, yes, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. It, it, and it's okay to, to be figuring it out as, as you're doing it. That's a lot of the time that's how it looks. And to me, something, something that comes to mind is this idea of um, like career development coaching. Or, mm-hmm. or it's it, it feels like it's a lifespan approach as opposed to like an acute in the moment like we'll we'll just you know have one touch point and then you're done and then you know you are forever victorious you know mm-hmm. um, it feels like a um, a more long term investment on both your part as a provider of these of this counsel and these ideas and on the part of the um, the client uh, they have to do a lot more work <laughs> than um, you know forward the resume, get it fixed, and then come back and apply. Mm-hmm. So, so for, I feel like, I feel like for people who are listening, it might be um, vague what we're talking about. Can you provide a few ideas of what it might look like for a client of yours to navigate uh, the structure, the framework that you've built, James? Yeah, definitely. And yeah, it, it might be um, a little bit nebulous to, to people that aren't you know, I'm familiar with what I do. So essentially, I help get people into the position that they need to be in to get one of these roles in management consulting, at, you know, big four as well. We also, and this is a good time to say this, we are expanding into other fields now because of the success that we've got. And because of you know something that we were talking about earlier, which was that what we teach, we've discovered kind of essentially by accident that these things, these frameworks are not just relevant for this one industry, for these one businesses, but for the entire recruitment industry. Okay. So what we, what we essentially base our theories on is the fact that businesses, and I've been involved with quite a few now in both in terms of large businesses like Deloitte, obviously who I used to work for my own business now, who I've, we've hired people for, uh, hired people into as well that the recruitment industry really serves as it exists right now serves nobody in a beneficial way because mm. essentially the internet has ruined it for everybody and no one's really sorted through it yet because what it means is that anybody with an internet connection can create a resume create um, a cover letter if they need to and apply for innumerable jobs that are out there whether they're qualified, whether they have any chance of doing this job in the right way, whether it's right for them. And, you know, how in the world can you match up a company which is a living, you know, breathing organism with a person who obviously is a living, breathing organism? Mm -hmm. And the only contact they have between them is a job description page and a a sheet of paper that's your resume or your CV, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's ludicrous. So... Mm -hmm. What ends up happening is that business companies get far too many applications. We call that the volume problem. So companies end up getting, for example, Deloitte, uh, over 3 million applications a year. You know, can they go through all those applications one by one personally, review them all? No, of course they can't. Okay. So what happens is that they have systems uh, like the applicant tracking system, which essentially is just a robot, which just automatically rejects you for various reasons. Um, and and in, like I said, it, it, this process just works for nobody. So we teach a process that allows you, well, allows people that we work with um, to, to bypass this. 
to bypass this traditional process. Okay, so we start off by first figuring out what are your what are your real what are your real issues with this? Why have you failed in the past? Okay, and that might be mindset things, that might be you just applying for the wrong positions. Okay, and then we work out what position should you be applying for? And then we go through the process of doing the two things that the whole recruitment process comes down to. This is our, you know, our whole theories are based around this, is that the recruitment process is at the end of the day based on two core principles, which are that you have to, or that building human relationships, that's the first one, that, they, that needs to be done. And the second one, that you need to prove your value, prove what you can do. Don't just say, don't just use things that you've done in the past as, as proof, that's not proof, that's just, hey, that's the history of what I've done. That doesn't prove what you're going to do, the ideas you have going forward. Those are the two the two theories that we that we base everything that we work on on, uh, and then we teach you know a whole load of strategies and tactics around that. Um, so yeah, in a in a huge nutshell, that is that is what we do, and I hope that wasn't too confusing. No, no, and we'll we'll have show notes for people that they could check out and make sure that you know they see it visually if they're a visual person. Mm -hmm. Let's say that um, the I want to play devil's advocate to better to better understand as an outsider. Yeah. Let's say recruiting did its job perfectly well. What 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 are they intending to do right that they're that they seem not to from your perspective? So the the recruiting industry is is so fragmented and so many different players in it, um, and. That some of them are trying to do things right, you know, in inverted commas, and I think some of them aren't. Some of them, some of the players are using the fact that it's not very good to make a lot of money. So the the two ends of the spectrum are the people that want it to work well are candidates and companies, because they are really the only two people that matter in this. And mm -hmm. for them, if they can, if if it was working perfectly. You know, the perfect candidate would always be there and the perfect company would always be there and they would be able to find each other very easily. And that's what the Internet should be able to do. But what actually happens is you have all these other things in the way, like, for example, job boards. OK, and the, the, re the, the problem with job boards is that they sell themselves as having you know, access to all these people. You know, we've got a million readers a month. Isn't that fantastic? You know, we, we can we can get all these applications for you. But as a business, is that what you actually want? Do you want all of these people applying for your jobs? No. What you actually want are the right people. Ideally, you would only have one person applying for your job and that would be the right person. Hmm. And so it needs to it, it, the, the answer is somewhere in between that. Right. Because if you think how and I, I think about this a lot, how the recruitment industry used to look. Because business has been around for what, I, I, I don't know, many, many years, hundreds of years. Mm. So how long have interviews been around? Um, well, interviews have been around for about 100 years. Thomas Edison, actually, who's somebody that I, you will have heard me talk about before, who I really am in, interested in so many aspects of his life. He's actually recorded as the first person performing a modern day interview, as in asking similar questions to a variety of different candidates and then coming up with um, you know, a kind of scorecard for who should who out of those candidates has passed the interview. That was only 100 years ago. OK, what happened before then? 
How did people get hired before that? It was all about relationship building, recommendations. Oh yeah, I know this person. Yeah, he'd be great for this job. That's how it worked, right? And that obviously was a fantastic way of doing it for many, many years. But then, you know, it, the industrial revolution happened. People needed uh, more ways of, of, of scoring people. And then, you know, it moved on to interviews. And then we had the internet coming along, uh, which made, made it so that every, anybody can go out and apply for any job out there, which, uh, you know, on a, on a top level sounds, hey, that's good. That, it's open, right? It's, it's, we're allowing people to go in and, and, and essentially have the, have the world as their oyster. But as I said, what actually happens is that you end up with companies being completely overwhelmed by the amount of people applying and then candidates also never getting the results that they want because they keep getting rejected because of the exact reason that they're able to easily apply for these positions. Which is ironic, hey? Exactly. So, so who's happy in this picture right now? Like who's winning? Yeah, and yeah, and to, to get back to answering your question, so who's winning right now are... <laughs> The job boards, right? Indeed.com, uh, you know, all the other ones that you guys will know and potentially use because companies pay all this money to put the, the jobs on, <clears throat> on there. And then they get all these applicants, they have to work out how to get through them. And then the net, I mean, the, and then the other big provider are the tech companies who provide applicant tracking systems, which are designed to narrow down the amount of pe people that or automatically in many cases narrow down and track the, the people who are coming in through that front end of the funnel, you know, the, the hiring funnel. And so they're obviously extremely happy because they, they literally don't care. Uh, they don't care who gets hired. They don't care whether you, I mean, they care whether companies get success in terms of hiring somebody because otherwise they'll leave the platform. You would, you would think, but, they don't care how long it takes. They don't care who's going through the system. They don't care if the candidates are getting a good experience. All they care about is getting paid and maintaining their traffic numbers. So mm. it's, it, it is a big problem, okay? And that's why you're seeing a switch towards, um, you know, and it's, it's going two ways, right? So I actually wrote a post about this today. On the one hand, a lot of companies are actually trying to fix this problem with things like AI. So they're saying, hey, is there a better way of us to solve this problem rather than just using keywords, which, uh, you know, reviewing a res someone's resume or CV with keywords um, as, as the defining or as the criteria is, is a terrible idea. How, how can you really judge someone based on the words they've written on a piece of paper? Hmm. I would argue that you can't. And, and so what they're doing is they're, they're using artificial intelligence to look at everything. So look at your Facebook profile, your LinkedIn profile, your resume, your cover letter, your CV, whatever it might be, uh, and judge you based on that. Mm. On the flip side is the, the more personalized approach where some companies are saying, you know, hey, we're actually not even going to put advert, job, job advertisements out there unless we really have to. Uh, and this is a big part of what we teach. It, it's called the hidden job market. And the hidden job market is where companies will go out and they'll say, we've got this position available, but we're not actually going to advertise it unless we can't find somebody that's already in our network that one of our existing employees can refer to us. 
someone that we already know, someone that maybe we've interviewed in the past and was was second in the in you know in the interview process, and we hired the person who was first. We'll go through all of those people first, and then finally we'll advertise this position because we know it's going to be a terrible experience, and we're going to get the worst level of candidates going that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, you know, the, the whole the whole system, and I don't want to talk too much about this, but the whole recruitment system is just not in the favour of the the two main players in it right now you know everybody is struggling to 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 find jobs if you're if you're a job seeker um or find good candidates if you're a um if you're a company looking Mm -hmm. all right so boom antidote james whitaker comes in with his um not career coaching, career coaching services. And so there were two things that that you mentioned, one of which is building human relationships and proving mm-hmm. your value as the core and the crux of what makes a difference for the candidates. Is that so? Yep. Okay, let's, uh, let's dive into each one of those. So I guess in some sense, if I were the audience and I heard that building human relationships is important to do in the career development process or uh, recruitment process, I'd be like, well, yeah, no shit, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But what I think you're talking about it in a very specific and and methodical way. Um, Could you describe for us what that sort of means? Yeah. Um, So the the thing about the traditional recruitment process is that it, it tries to do this. So it tries to allow candidates to build relationships with the right people. Uh, That's what the interview process is for, right? You get to meet the people that you're going to work with to prove to them that you're the right person for the job. Hmm. They don't just hire somebody without ever meeting them. So there's obviously that human connection, that human um, relationship is important. The, The problem is, as we said, that the recruitment process as it exists is just not really fit for purpose. Um, and so building relationships in terms of the way um, the way I was mentioning it is all about going out and, you know, essentially it all it all relates to proving your value, which is the second piece of the puzzle. So you need to go and you need to connect with those people out there who are actually going to be making those decisions, because at the end of the day, you're going to be if you get to that stage, you're going to be talking to these people anyway at the final stage interview, let's say. But you need to get ahead of the curve and you need to start having those conversations with people at the start. Because as a business owner, as somebody who's been a senior member of the hiring board at Deloitte, okay, I would much, much rather know somebody and have spoken to them and have some interaction with them, some idea about what they are like before I get to the interview process. So if you're providing that and you can figure out a way to do that, and obviously that's what we we help people do, is to figure out how to get into these conversations, have them in the right way, not just go in all guns blazing and be, hey, I'm, you know, I'm James, I'm awesome, give me a job. That's not networking. That's not building human relationships. That's basically just you know, not be, not be without, I was going to use a, a French word then, but without being somebody who you wouldn't want to hire, um, then it's, you know, it's not, it, it, that's not what you want to do. 
what you want to do, and that's why I call it building human relationships, not just networking, because most people consider networking to be doing that, you know, that backwards thing of just going out and uh, shooting off LinkedIn requests and saying, hey, do you have any jobs available? Like, mm. it's not the way to do it. The way to do it is by actually becoming friends with these people, you know, in, 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 business, in a business sense, actually showing them that you're somebody that they would like to interact with on a day-to-day -day basis. So if I were to hear you say this, I'd say, yeah, that makes total sense. And then the, the very first thing that I'd go to would be, well, how the hell do you do that? I'll bring forward some of the um, sort of immediate concerns that come to mind for, let's say, you know, somebody that's looking to build human relationships in this way. One of which is, is, is this something that makes sense to do in other industries, you know, like, would it make sense to connect with um, somebody in the nonprofit world this way or the public world, you know, it, it, it tends to be very hierarchical, very many levels, would it make sense to go speak with somebody higher up? Or as I heard, when I was in that world, they probably don't have time for you because you're probably not important. You know, um, other examples include, um, yeah, the first one is, does, would it matter for them to speak with you? The other one is, um, why would they want to speak with you in different industries? I'm not talking about the management consulting world. So, and, and the other one is, how would you go about that, right? So kind of this, this, all these feelings and thoughts that come up for a person when they hear, you know what, go and, go and speak with the people that matter. And they're like, well, but I don't really matter right now. I'm the one that's inferior. I'm the one that's, um, looking for a position. I need help. Why would they want to speak to someone that's sort of in this place? It's kind of this messy hairball of emotions that people are often experiencing. And then you're saying, oh, go and, you know, go and build human relationships, prove your value, right? Yep. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's probably the number one question that I get from people uh, as they're going through this process. And then uh, the number one result I get out of it is, Oh my God, James, they actually did want to speak to me. I can't believe it. What you said worked. And it's, it's a very, you know, it's a, it's a very valid concern. And the, the, the key, so to answer your two questions, the, the first one, why would somebody want to actually speak with you? Why would some, <clears throat> excuse me, why would somebody who is a senior person, you know, earning millions of dollars a year, let's say, uh, very, very important. Why would they care about you? Somebody that is meaningless to them. Well, they would care about you because they are the people who are running the business in many cases. So how is a business successful? Business is successful in almost all cases by having the best team. And it's the job of the business owner, the, you know, the people at the top of the business to make the business successful and therefore to build the best team. So they want to know what people are out there in the industry. Who is out there right now who we could go and hire, who could potentially make our business that much better, solve the problems that we need to be solved, right? So they are very, very switched on to that. Yeah, perfect example, when I was at, um, when I was working in the UK, I worked in, uh, so I worked in a, in a fairly small office when I first started uh, in um, Manchester in the UK. And 
we had a hugely difficult time hiring hiring people into our team who had the relevant experience. I was, it was almost impossible. And so in that situation, you know, our, 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 our partner in that team, the bosses in our team were always out there in the market trying to find people. So if you'd come up to them and said, hey, I've got this experience, uh, would you like to have a quick chat? They would have literally bitten your hand off. Okay. And obviously it varies. It's not that it's not that way for every single market. It's not that way for every single scenario. But the key thing about this is you never know when those situations are coming up. There are innumerable situations that I've had in big and small markets in New York, Chicago, you know, London, that I can think of off the top of my head, when people have gone out, done this, spoken to the top people, and they've the top people have come back and said, Oh, thank you so much. We literally need somebody like you yesterday. Let's get you in for an interview and then they get hired. I've seen it happen so many times, right? And so it's not always gonna be that fast. It's not always gonna be the case that they're gonna need someone right now. But if they do, the only way you can find out is through this process. And even if they don't, as I said, they're always looking to understand what the market is like. So they'll happily meet with you, okay? And you know, you know, our, you will know about this, that, that we, we have a lot of people who, who do this, people who have that question, and then people who get get huge results from going out and having these conversations. Now, to answer the question about different industries, that is a very, a very valid concern. And in some industries, it is going to be more difficult. Uh, you know, I've, so I, we have a few different programs. One of them, I work uh, much more closely with people. Uh, and in that program, uh, you know, often people are not just looking to get hired into consulting. Uh, we have a guy at the moment who is who is wanting to get hired as a chief information officer, right? He he currently works in a huge uh, NGO, really senior, uh, and wants to switch. Okay, and it's the same for him, right? He's out there building relationships with CEOs. He's out there building relationships with people who are you know very 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 senior, and he had the same questions. Well, why would they have time for me? And I'm saying, you look at your experience. You've got 25 years of experience in this role. They 100% want to speak to you. You know, mm -hmm. whether they have a, a CIO role available or whether their friend that they might be in a, a business mastermind group with, maybe they do. Okay, but these people want to keep their, you know, their ear to the ground, you know, their finger on the pulse of what is happening in the industry, in the market for, for talent. Because the market for talent is, as I said, the most important thing for a business. And so that is the reason why they, when in almost all cases, will be very, very happy to get on the phone with you, particularly if you're experienced. But even if you're a student with absolutely no experience whatsoever, they will still be very, very happy to get on the call with you, to understand what, you know, what you're about, to talk to you, and in most cases, to help you through the process. Even, you know, even if it has to involve the recruiters and applying online and things, which sometimes when you're when you're a student, it does. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. <clears throat> what I'm curious about is for <clears throat> and you you brought it up yourself. So so people who are you, you tend to work with uh, folks who you know, a little, are a little bit more senior in their career, have gone through a very particular sort of, you know, often business program, 
um, in their undergrad, for example, or master's, MBA. Um, and you're also accumulating a great deal of expertise about the sort of uh, the career world as a whole, right? When you think about, um, you know, someone that may have just finished, you know, a chemistry degree like yourself in uh, uh, many years ago <laughs> and uh, um, someone who's early entry that are wanting to explore, experiment, they're wanting to try new things. Yeah. But, but there's this catch 22 where you need experience to get experience doing this thing that you want to experiment doing, right? Yeah. Um, how, how how can folks navigate that from from a, a an applicant point of view? And the other question for you is, what suggestions do you have for enterprise, for businesses, for maybe recruiters um, to build maybe space for this kind of you know matchmaking, getting to know each other that doesn't have to look like a you know, a formal job application or a formal um, uh, uh, internship <clears throat> that are very that are very often associated with uh, you know a particular business program. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, it's a great question. So, I I call that the the myth of experience. So, and there's 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 kind of two answers to that. So. The first one is there are just some roles where you have to have a specific type of experience or they're not going to hire you. You know, if it's a tech role and you need to be able to write code in three certain different languages, let's say, then you have to be able to do that. It's, you know, you can't just say, well, I'm also great at speaking on the phone, right? (laughs) It doesn't make a difference. You still need to be able to do that thing. So in that situation, then you need to be able to do that. Okay. If, if that's the case and you have a, have a chemistry major, right, what could you do? Well, how difficult is it learning those key skills that they actually need? I don't know, right? I'm, I'm not an expert in coding, but I know that there are, there are courses out there that you can learn things like that very quickly. doesn't mean that you have to redo your whole degree again. You have to study again because then you, th- this is when the, the other part comes in, which is you need to consider how the things you've done already are valuable to that role, okay? So it's very, very important. What, how valuable are the things that you've done already to that role specifically? And if you can figure those things out and then you know, put them down in your CV or your resume and also talk about them in, a, in an intellectual way, talk about them while you're networking or during the interview, then essentially it doesn't matter, right? Unless there is that requirement, as I said, then for everything else, it really doesn't matter, particularly when you're at that more entry level position, because almost nobody has experience, right? Almost nobody has experience. So, it, you know, there are a lot of different, a lot of different things out there, a lot of different variables that we need to that we need to consider. OK, but the, 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 the general thought about, hey, I don't have the right experience. I don't have th- these five things that they require really should not be the thing that's stopping you. Um, and you know, and there's another thing to say about that, which is role inflation, um, which is what companies often do when they will they will actually put on their job descriptions more more things than they require, or they'll make a bigger deal about some of the things that, that they require um, when they would actually hire somebody with less experience than that. Why do they do Why? it? Because they want yes. to get the best candidates. 
that's for the start. Um, and also it gives them a really good position for negotiating salary later on. Mm. So in almost all cases, if you were looking at a job role, a job role, a job description, and you, you don't tick all the boxes, a lot of people just would think, well, I can't apply for this role. That mm. is a very, very bad thing to think. You should 100% be applying for that role, you know, building those connections, understanding what they actually want, because that's another, that's another um, benefit of building connections is you can actually talk to people and say, hey, what is it you actually want out of this role? And they might have a completely different viewpoint to what the role description says. Because remember, yeah. these big companies, they have huge teams of recruiters who are responsible for writing job descriptions, who are trying to um, trying to decipher this technical knowledge that they might not know about, trying to understand what's the actual requirement that this hiring manager, this hiring partner might actually have. And then they distill it down and, and, and draft it into a job description. Whereas at the end of the day, or you know, if you actually consider which one of those, which one of those five points that they've got in the job description is the most important, it have they got it right? You, you don't know. So that's why you need to do this extra level of work. You can't just sit there behind your computer and just rely on all these different things, all the stars aligning to make, you know, to, to, to say, well, you know, thank God I've ticked all these boxes. Now I'm going to apply online and hope I get mm. through this robot. Now I'm going to hope this thing. Now I'm going to hope that thing. You need to go out and stop hoping and start just mm. doing. James, you, you talk about proving your value. So first of all, what does that mean? And for a, you know, for somebody that you're meeting, what does that look like? Yeah. So, so prove, proving your value is taking um, the next step in terms of showing this this person this connection. Whether you're it's in an interview, whether it's during a screening call, whether it's um, as part of your outreach or networking, just showing them that you can essentially do the job. That's what it's all about, because. When you, you know, when you create a resume, when you create a CV, what does that have on it? It has some information about things that you've done in the past. Now, what you're relying on in that situation is you're relying on the person who's reviewing this document to be able to to be able to 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 be able to um, try to say this in the right way to be able to take those things that you've written and 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 then transition them into how will that relate to what this person has to do on a day-to-day -day basis in the role that I'm hiring for. Hmm. So you're relying on that person making the right decisions about that transition, okay? If they do, the, if they, if they, if they, um, you know, if they comprehend what you've written in an incorrect way, uh, maybe because you've written it badly or maybe they just didn't understand it, then you, they're not going to understand how the things that you've done in the past relate to the things that you're going to do in future, okay? So again, it's a very bad place to be. So what can you do instead when we talk about proving your value? Well, one of the easiest ways to do it is simply by creating a piece of work that showcases what you can actually do. Hmm. And ideally that would be aligned with the, the kind of work that you would be doing in future. So for example, if you need to build websites, 
as as the role that you're looking for, mm-hmm. rather than rather than just writing on your resume, I've built ten websites. Just build another one that's aligned with that. You know, build one for for that company. Build a landing page for the company you want to work for, and say, hey, this is what I can do. Look, here it is. Hmm. Do you see the difference there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One is hypothetical. The other one is your your. It's yeah, exactly. You, you can't. How can you anyone argue with that? It's like this. And and the the example I always give is, um, is is architecture, right? So when someone walk, walks and, and wants wants to get a job in an architect architect's firm, right? What do they use? Do they go in with their CV and their resume and they say, hey, I went to this great architecture school and I you know I'm great at doing these things, or do they walk in with a big portfolio of all their designs and all the things that they've done, right? Obviously. You don't. You can't just say I'm great at architecture. I'm great at designing things. You actually have to prove it to them. But that doesn't happen in 99% of industries. And it, and why is 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 the is is the question? Uh, and, and the answer is that I don't think anyone has actually thought of a re, a viable way of doing this. Right? When it comes to design and architecture and and those those things which are very obvious, what what you have to do then. Yeah, sure. You can just show your portfolio, but mm-hmm. for, for for professional industries, for you know most industries where there isn't a clear cut, this is this is what I need to do, and this is how I prove it to you. Then it's it is very difficult. Um, but if you can figure that out, you know, like I said, build a landing page for that company, then it's going to be so much easier for you. And by combining those two things, um, and and using them together, so I call it. Um, a uh, you know a positive feedback loop that you have these conversations these people tell you what they need you then use those use those things that they've mentioned to prove your value you know whether it's building a website whether it's creating um you know we we you'll know about this art again we have we have something that we teach people specifically called the value letter right so it's the that's the fourth asset that you should create when you're looking for a job with the first three are your resume, your cover letter, and your LinkedIn profile. The fourth one is your value letter, which is designed to prove this value. And then you just keep feeding those things back to each other. This person said this thing, so I'll update this in my resume and update this in my um, in my value letter, or I'll create this this um, this extra thing. And then you just keep going around that circle. And then you discover more about the industry. You discover more about the market. You become known in the market to to different people. And that is when you you don't ha- you literally don't have to do anything else. And I've had many many people at this point who have been hired without doing anything other than building those relationships and proving how they can uh, how they can add value. People who've never submitted a resume because resume you know people get tied to the fact that the recruitment process yeah and I, I'll, I'm gonna I want to talk more about this but I don't want to go on for too long. Uh, but the recruitment process, you know, people people get so hung up on the fact that there are rules of the recruitment process. Oh, well, I can't do this because they told me that I had to do this. Well, I can't do that because this isn't the way they do it. And honestly, it's absolute garbage. There are no rules about recruiting. The only rule about recruiting is that the company wants to find the best person to work for them. That's the only rule. Everything else is just set out to solve the volume problem that we spoke about before and solve all the other issues that exist inherently with the recruitment process. But in terms of rules, there are no rules. 
Hmm. I, I wish people could kind of have a, um, like a clone of James that, that just hangs out with them. And, uh, <laughs> should they ever meet a recruiter, just be like, you know, press play on James. And James is like, there are no rules to recruit them, guys. Like, just calm down, you know? Um, but there's something important about that, um, uh, that we we don't want to, you know, as, as candidates, we, we don't want to... Um, upset um uh or or yeah do wrong by let's say a company or or a particular community because those recruiters that you're trying to in you know in some sense bypass or get the hell away from as soon as possible so you could talk to people that make decisions or have deeper insight about the problems that are being solved for to hire for the uh, for the roles um uh you know, you want to be civil, of course, and you want to, there's a, I guess, I guess this is human part of you that wants to be like, you know, I'm not interested in talking with you. I, I, um, um, I really just want to speak with people that, that are in a place that are able, we're able to help each other. And you're not one of those right now. Um, and it's a really weird position to be in where, where, uh, Again, like remember when you when you mentioned that uh, that that um, spectrum, you know the candidates and the companies are all aligned that they want to have a great experience, you know, mm-hmm. and and I guess what I'm envisioning is a world where candidates and companies can do that. <laughs> um, they are the ones that can hang out together. They're the ones that have a, a um, uh, like a platform or or um a space virtual or not where that's happening and other parties are just taken out of the picture anyway that's a totally uninformed um you know experience-based position that i that i hold what are your you know apart from suggesting for um for candidates how to go about this navigate this process as is You've had some experience for a little while in this. What are you thinking in terms of the future of this industry? Yeah, and it's that's a fantastic question. I think it's, it, it's something along the lines of what you were saying, right? So the future of the industry is to align those the the, the requirements and the the ideals of the two biggest stakeholders who ev- who anyone cares about, which are the candidate and the company. Uh, and so having something, so do I know what the answer is? No. You know, there's a lot of smart people who are thinking about this. I don't think the answer is more AI to try and do, try and pretend that they can do a human's job because they can't or it can't. And obviously the answer on the flip side is not have a human reviewing every single application that comes in because then all companies would do is review applications and never actually do what the what their business is. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's going to be something. You know, if if I was advising a large company who had you know a lot of a lot of positions available in various industries, like one of the big four, for example, you know, I'd I would even say, hey, just try it. Just try not actually advertising any positions at all. And just have you know some notes on the career section, and just say you know we, we are hiring. Um, you know if, if if you're interested, then um, 
figure out how to do it. Figure out how to do, <laughs> figure out how to do. Uh, you know, this, but this is what I mean because who is going to do that? The I guaranteed they will get. Let's say instead of three million applications, right? They they hire about the Deloitte. They hired about hundred thousand people last year. Th- more than three million applications. Let's say instead they get three hundred thousand applications, right? But guaranteed that all of those people are going to be people that they want to work for them because they're going to be people who have absolutely, you know, done whatever they need to do to figure out how to get past this process, whether it's connecting with people, whether it's somehow proving their value, whatever it might be, right? Mm-hmm. Would they do that? No, obviously not, because there's a lot, there's a lot more complexity to it than that. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they, they wouldn't want to lose market share or anything like that. But that that is one end of the spectrum the other end is something like you said maybe there is space for a platform which is some kind of you know creative social you know maybe even social media but specifically designed for people to prove themselves to companies that might want to hire and then rather than the candidate being the one that goes out and applies it's the company that comes in and says, hey, we've seen this thing that you're doing. Looks looks really good. Can we talk more about it? Hmm. Kind of like, you know, recruiters on LinkedIn, they look at your LinkedIn profile and they say, hey, you know, that's this is great. I'd, you know, maybe we've got a position that might work for you. That kind of thing, but taking it to the next step where you actually are there producing something that is relevant to your industry, whether that's a website, whether that's, you know, some kind of, answer to a big question um, and, and I've seen I can't remember what this this platform was called but it was it essentially the idea was lots of smart people get together and they try and answer big questions you know like how how do you solve the 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 issue with all the plastic in the oceans things like that um, and you know maybe it could be focused towards that, that that you have these big questions and then you see who are the people who are really engaging who are the people who are giving the great answers uh, and then we can just cherry pick the best ones of those because guaranteed it's not going to be the person who's got a four put. Well, it could be, but it, when you, you know, the person who's got a 4.0 GPA, is that going to matter in this scenario? No, the same way that it doesn't matter in any scenario, because mm. however good you are at answering exam questions does not at all relate to how good you are at, at doing your job. You know, it, in a, you know, there are correlations obviously, but it's not mm. direct in any sense. But if you're if you're looking at um, uh, like law of large numbers, you will probably like you as the the company, you'll probably want to gravitate towards the people with the high GPA because on average, especially if there's more numbers coming through, it's more likely that those people may be the ones that have a better fit, right? So it, again, it comes back to that volume problem. And, and yeah. I, f- I feel like the further away you get in abstracting this problem, that you, you're looking at it as numbers, as, you know, uh, psychosocial uh, attributes, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, ex- introvert, extrovert, whatever, slicing people up like that, right? Um, the further you get away from the humanity of it all, which is that everybody, everybody, companies, candidates recruiters everybody's trying to do their best everybody you know people are wanting to put the best foot forward and have a good job and the people that are offering this work 
want the best candidate to come in and support yep. that value. So, James, we've had a far-reaching conversation. I'm we just wondering, in terms of yeah, in terms of you as a person, who are you becoming? So, my biggest aim, my vision for myself and my company is to become the person that as many people as possible look to to solve their career issues. And whether that's candidates who just are stuck, they don't know where they need to turn, they don't know what things they need to do, all the way up to heads of companies who just cannot figure out how to get the right people, how to do things in the right way, such that the people joining their company fit within their culture. Hmm. So that that is that is the aim, that's the long-term vision. Obviously, we're nowhere near there yet, as nobody who is at the start of their journey is, but that is the place that we are heading to. And, you know, and, and you know, as a final point, I read a study recently which said that 85% of people are either disengaged or actively dislike their current job. 85% of people, right? So it's a ridiculous number. So if we can just fix that a little bit, you know, if we could be responsible for bringing that down to 84% of the world's population, that would be an unbelievably huge impact on the, you know, the productivity, the positivity of the world, many, many people's lives. Mm-hmm. So if we can do that, then we've, we've succeeded. Hmm. What's, what's a question that you want to leave our audience thinking about? And the biggest, the biggest one for me, and I think that a lot of people I work with really, this resonates a lot with them is what, what is your why when it comes to your career? And are you actually aligned with that? So what what is the thing that you really, really want to be doing? Okay, that's that's your why. And is what you're currently doing reflected in that? Hmm. And we'll leave it at that. James, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Art. Thank you for inviting me. It's been been fantastic. That's it for this episode, folks. Head on over to letsdevelopodcast.com for detailed show notes to quench your thirst for knowledge. If you like what you heard, and even if you didn't, leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to let us know how we're doing. We're in it together. The Let's Develop Podcast is co-created by Chris Raymond, executive producer and music maker, Emily Scollin, digital content mastermind, and yours truly, Artisoyans, host and producer. Special thanks to Brittany Fraser and others for continuing to inspire us, teach us, and build us together. See you next time.